welcome to Two Dudes Podcast, or should I say Ashton and Lacey's Podcast. And make sure you stay tuned and have an awesome day. Thank you. I think it'd be funny if I had all these weird recordings I save before every time when I'm panicking that I don't have my sound set up. So then I just sit here and say the weirdest things into the microphone. Same. I I think I added like a (laughs) sentence in last time, but every single time before I call you, I like hit record and then I like get nervous that I have to talk. And so I like talk to the microphone. I'm like, all right, I'm recording. I'm about to call Lacey. I'm like... (laughs) Why do I? I say it every episode. I'm like, I'm about to call Lacey. And like, at this point, I'm just talking to myself before I call you. Uh, okay. So before we even start, yeah. last time we were like a hot mess. Yes. Right. Okay. So where is it at today? Okay. So on on a level of one to 10, like, what's your number? You know, I feel like I'm probably at an eight or a nine. And last time I was at like, well, I thought I was at like a three, and then when we talked, I was at like a negative three. <laughs> but I do feel like last episode, we talked kind of just about like how life was so hectic, and it was like the most hectic week ever. And so I finished, um, me and Connor shot that elopement in Crested Butte, and then now we have like six days off. And then we're driving to Boise or no, we have a wedding like in Colorado the third, but I feel like it's like the first time this summer where we've actually had time off. And I also was stressed about having time off because I knew that I had so much work to do, like so much editing to get caught up on and emails. And Mm -hmm. I worried that I had gotten so low, like had been so overwhelmed that I wouldn't be able to sit down and get the work done that I needed to, but I have been like, I paid sales tax and I like got all caught up on books and emails and I edited like I think I've only been home for like two days maybe and I've delivered like four galleries and got really far. So I just feel like I can breathe and I feel caught up like it's not as overwhelming as it was a week ago when we recorded. So I after we did the podcast last week, I went and I um, floated in the sensory deprivation tank. What? Yeah. So was it awesome? Yeah. I mean, you need to go try it. So I went to this place called, um, I think it's called Deep. It's in Rapid. And I I didn't even know they had that. Yes. And it's been there for like, it's been on my radar for a long time, like a few years. But you Mm -hmm. get in and I can't remember what he said is like 1500 pounds or 1700 pounds of Epsom salts. So my gosh. Yeah, so much. And you get in and you can't even, it's hard to like make your body go to the bottom. Like you have to push against the water to like touch. And I just laid there. And then like with like 20 minutes left, my phone started to ring and I was so fucking pissed. So both my kids were at camp. So Lyndon was at golf camp and Ellery was at climbing camp. And I was like, oh my God, Lyndon probably took a golf club to the face. (laughs) And then I was just laying there and then it stopped ringing and I was fine. And then it rang again. And then I was like, God damn it, it's Adam. Oh no. (laughs) And he knew I was there. So I just laid there and I was like, I 
think it's got to be Adam. I can't freak out, you know? Like, when the phone rings, it was like, this is what happens when my phone rings. I immediately think someone's died or someone is hurt. Mm -hmm. And what, like, a terrible thing to jump to every time your phone rings. So who was calling? Oh, yeah. So I got out to the car, and of course it was Adam. (laughs) And I called him, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I had to spend an hour in a sensory deprivation tank, and my phone wouldn't quit ringing. And he was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to know if you wanted barbecue. It's like... I thought you were dead. <laughs> yes. That's, but it is, it's been like this thing that I've been, you know, grappling with for like the last month too, is this tendency to like, the sky is falling. Like every time something's wrong, I yes. worry that someone is hurt. Someone is whatever. And Dude, I just it has to, to be let that like, go. I think we talked about this in like the, the very first episode, like Dear John talking about my dad, like, there has to be something there with like losing a parent and like always assuming trauma. And I think it's also just having anxiety in general. Like you worry about things that you shouldn't worry about, but like I'm the same way and I leave the house, like we'll leave Remy at our apartment and I have convinced myself that like the apartment is going to start on fire and like Remy's going to die or he's going to like choke when we're gone or Connor leaves and he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the gas station. And then he's gone for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, he's in a ditch, like something. And I don't know what it is because it is it's this terrible weight to carry. And and I hate that. But it is it's this thing. And I think like death anxiety is so real. And I don't know if it's just a part of anxiety in general or if it's because we've like lost a parent or like lost people we love. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it is, but it is so there and it it is so heavy to carry yeah and i i really thought about after we talked last time is like this shame over feelings because even Mm -hmm. feeling sad or overwhelmed like i think we said i mean i don't know because i didn't listen to it but i think (laughs) we said a whole bunch of times like i know we shouldn't feel like this and just inherent in in that is like shaming ourselves for feeling the way we feel and telling ourselves we shouldn't instead of being like, yeah, I'm overwhelmed and I'm really sad and it doesn't matter. Well, and this like kind of leads into this episode, I guess. (laughs) But what's also weird is that so last week when I came on, like my life was in shambles and I was so stressed and it was like I had said how I feel overwhelmed and like burnt out and sad and stressed, but I feel guilty for feeling Mm -hmm. that way because like I know that people handle these things. But then now this week, I have felt guilt about how I approach this episode because I don't want to talk about success and like being in a good space because I also then feel guilty about that. Like, I feel like this is the first time in however long that... I feel like my business is at like, whether it's like a successful position or whatever. And then it is, it is a successful position. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want you to know that I think it is okay for you to be like, um, I'm fucking killing it. And I know you won't say that, (laughs) but on the heels of last week's, I think that that is something that is really honest to say because you are, but also not because you're not doing anything. Like Mm -hmm. you're, 
you you're going through cycles where you're working so hard you can you know barely handle it and then also times where right now you have some time off and you can circle back but you are really busy you have done a ton of shoots like regardless your business and supporting yourself is a success mm-hmm. you yeah, work and I for feel it. like yes and so and we can like get into this episode but it definitely like this episode is more of like a positive in the successes but like that isn't to say that sometimes life is crazy and that's how last week was so we're just on a good week but anyways this is like the only episode that I have ever planned for (laughs) like I actually mean that I think I've said this in a previous episode but like I know that you do some like digging before we record and like you write out like questions or you do research and I'm never like that. Like in my head, if I think about it beforehand, I'll like get anxious or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so the way that this podcast has run every episode up until now is like we pick a topic and then I don't think about it until I call you and then we just dive in. But this episode, I've like thought about the last few days, like ever since the last podcast where we said that like today's topic was going to be about like my journey with photography and videography and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking of like why I decided to think ahead about this episode. And there was like a few things about it. And the first is that there's just so much information. Like there is genuinely like so many things that I want to say. And like I've done workshops in the past or like watched videos where people say like, we're going to tell you like everything that we know, like we're going to tell you what we price and what gear we use. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it and it's like, they don't tell you and they beat around the bush and they like answer things Mm -hmm. very vaguely. And I've been really frustrated with those in the past. And like, I want to literally be like, as honest and transparent about everything, just like about things I've learned. And then the second reason is I've said for a long time that I want to create a workshop and I just Mm -hmm. haven't like life has been busy. And and so I feel like for now, this is like my version of a workshop. Mm -hmm. And I said this to you, like not when we recorded, but I get asked questions about this all the time. Like I can't even when I say like I get DMs about this, it's like three to 10 DMs a day for like the last two years. And I've been like super vocal on like social media about dropping out of school and creating a life and like being a photographer and things like that. And because of that, I've gotten asked so many questions and I like try to answer them. But something I said to you is like, Lately, so many of the messages have been like really in-depth questions of like, I don't know like where I'm at in life and like I want to start doing photography, but like I don't know where to start and I don't know how to begin and how did you know and what are the steps you took and and -hmm. I never feel like I can answer those in the depth that I want and just because life is like so busy, I don't even have the time to do so and so I want this to serve as like answering the questions that I frequently get asked. And then really the last thing is, and I mentioned this last time, but I think I dropped out of school like two or three years ago. I think three years ago. I literally have no idea. We don't know dates very well, me and you. (laughs) But um, 
I finally feel like I'm at a place where I can give advice and like I actually feel worthy of my career or I feel knowledgeable because so much of the last three years was just like having no idea what I was doing and like faking it till I make it. And I feel like this is the first time in my life where like I actually like have this structure and this business where like I can help other people to do that as well. Yes. So one thing you just said that Mm -hmm. really, you said, I'm faking it till you make it. And I think that that is what we all do in Mm -hmm. everything that we do. And there is something there, like the anybody asking you, what do you do? Or how do you know? It's like, you just decide. And then you just start fumbling around in the dark until you feel like you know what you're doing. And and there's like this courage there and this self-confidence like struggle because you don't have the confidence to do it and nobody knows what they're doing. No, and that, you're doing. that is like such a theme in all of this because so basically like how I have this figured out that I can like get as much information as possible is that I also posted on Instagram and I like asked if anyone had specific questions. And then I also just like went through my messages and wrote down like the most relevant ones. And they're like questions like, what gear do you use? What programs do you use? How do you find music? How did you know how to price? Things like that. And I want to talk about that like at the very end. Like I'll just, Mm -hmm. as soon as we're done, like I will literally rapid fire and I will say like exactly what I use to edit, like exactly the gear I have, what I price, things like that. But the like most frequent question that I get asked is how I got started, how I started booking clients. One mm-hmm. of the questions yesterday said, what was the first step of getting hired slash having experience to show for business? And so I'll like walk through how that got there. But the one thing that I want to say is like, I am so, so, so passionate about how possible it is for anyone to make this a career. Anyone can be a photographer and it's not to say that there's not hard work and like being your own boss and like having to wear all the hats, like that's really difficult. And obviously you have to have like a passion for photography or like you have to be creative and like have Mm -hmm. an eye. But what's so awesome about this career is that you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have tons of experience. And it's like you need one video on your portfolio to get booked or you have Mm -hmm. to fake it and take pictures of your friends and then you'll book clients. And like, that's such an underlying theme in all of this is like how attainable I think it is for anyone who wants to make this, whether it's like a side hustle or like a full-time job, whatever. I just really want everyone to know that like, I really truly am so passionate that anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Real quick, just for myself to like set the scene. Yeah. Before, now, when you decided to drop out of school and come home, I mean, we've talked through a lot of different parts of that, but in terms of like money and where you were at while you were starting from the beginning, I think it's important just to note that like you were able to come home and like live with your mom. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't afford an apartment you couldn't really move out of the house and you spent, you had like convinced your mom and I could be wrong because I don't remember, but you had like convinced your mom that you needed 
a new camera. So the money from school that you like would have used or whatever, you mm-hmm. were able to buy new equipment. Is that correct? Yes. So so when I came home from school, I vividly remember because I, I like packed my own bags and drove home from Minneapolis, which was like nine hours away. And I had to have my mom transfer money into my account for gas. Like I think I had $40 when I dropped yeah. out of school. Like I had no money to mm-hmm. my name whatsoever. When you started, it was pretty much starting from zero in terms of money. But I also had no experience. And that's what I feel like mm-hmm. is like the craziest part of all of this. And that's what I really want to explain. It all goes back to like anyone can do it. Fake it till you make it. So I like wrote out just bullet points of like this exact journey from like the very beginning into like right now today. And so something I've thought about a lot is like I didn't grow up taking pictures on a camera all the time. Like so many of the photographers I follow will be like, here's my work from like 2007. And it's like their friends who, you know, they took their DSLR camera out and shot. And like, I really wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is I vividly remember when I went to college, I got a new computer. That was actually my first computer I ever got. And I had like saved up money. I think I asked for money from my birthday and Christmas. And then like that paid for half and I paid for half. And we went into the Apple store and this was my senior year of high school, like going to college. The guy there was like trying to sell me a MacBook Pro or like explain the difference between an Air and a Pro. And like how he described it was, you know, if all you're going to do is like schoolwork and Word documents, then the Air is perfect. But if you want to do anything with like photo or video, then you need a Pro. And I remember being there like, oh, well, I'm never going to do anything like that. Like I I just need the Air. <laughs> and this was like a year before I dropped out and did this full time. So like there was yeah. no like I didn't grow up like my mom did photography and like I would make dumb videos with my friends. But like I was not like I didn't take photography in high school. I, it wasn't this like on my radar that I even wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. so my freshman year of college, I came home from Thanksgiving break. And I feel like I maybe talked about this in one of our episodes before, but I was like in the darkest place of my entire life. I like was so homesick. I hated school. I miss my friends. And so I came home for Thanksgiving break freshman year and a bunch of our friends went out to the Badlands. And for whatever reason, I decided to bring my mom's old camera. And I was like, I'm just going to make a video, like whatever. And I recorded a video of my friends and I was like so in love with the idea of taking videos. But again, like I was 19 years old. Like this wasn't like I grew Mm -hmm. up and had this passion, whatever. So I posted this video, I think on Instagram. And ever since then... Like I would use any excuse possible to take videos. Like then that year when I came home for Christmas, like I would bring our camera to like Christmas at grandma's house and I would like take videos of the girls opening presents Mm -hmm. or like anytime I was home from college, I would like make my friends go up to the hills and like take videos of them. And I was like posting them on like social media and like just literally on Instagram, like taking videos. I used my mom's old camera, shot everything on auto. I was like filtering them in the Tezza app and posting them on Instagram. And so at this time, this was like before the whole like Instagram algorithm was a thing, whatever. So like 
these videos were getting like 70,000 views. Whereas like now if I post a video on Instagram, they get like 4,000. Like it's not really mm-hmm. a thing anymore. But at the time I would post these videos of my friends when I could come home from college. I never brought a camera to college or anything. It was still during my freshman year. I got a DM from a girl who she lived in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And she basically messaged me on Instagram and was like, hi, like my little sister follows you and she watches your videos and like we love them. And I'm curious if you do wedding videography. And (laughs) this is like kind of where it goes into, I mentioned this earlier, but like I had no experience shooting anything. I didn't have a portfolio, but I would post videos of my friends in the Black Hills. And in turn, this girl liked one video that I made. She was like, I saw this one and I want you to shoot my wedding. And so I remember one time having a conversation with a friend of ours in Rapid. He's actually your friend, Lacey, but I met with him for coffee once. And this was like shortly after I dropped out of school. And he made the comment of, you know, like whether you knew it or not, you've been growing your business for like longer than you know. And he meant like posting on Mm -hmm. like Instagram and things like that. And what is crazy about like social media today is you could go out and take photos of your best friend on Instagram, like on a nice camera and post them. And if one person likes them, like they will be like, hi, I really loved these pictures you took of so-and-so. Like, will you take my graduation photos? Like, will you take Mm -hmm. my senior pictures? And like, that's what I mean by like, it's so easy to book clients because, and not that it's like super easy, but my point is, is that like, you don't have to know it all. You don't have to be like the most successful photographer. Like it starts with just going out and like creating. So Mm -hmm. this girl asks me to film her wedding and The wedding was December of my sophomore year of college, and I dropped out of school before I ever shot a wedding. Like I, I dropped out that like I dropped out and then literally drove from Minneapolis to the wedding in Aberdeen and then back to Rapid. And so I still shot on auto. I had no idea what I was doing and no reason to believe that I would be successful. Like, I just wanted mm-hmm. to do it so badly. You shot the wedding, which actually I remember <laughs> when you said you had booked a wedding, we were like, yay. And then it was like, does she know what she's doing? <laughs> no, not at all. And the the funny thing is like, not only had I never shot a wedding, but it had also been like, I'd maybe been to like two weddings in my whole life. Like I didn't even know like the procedure of how these things went. I brought Lexi to this wedding and yeah. I, again, I used this camera and I shot on auto and I recorded this wedding video. So at this time I had moved home from school and this is something that I talked about like in our episode on college of It was just a very low time in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, I wasn't booking clients and I had no idea what I was doing. And there was so much like doubt and anxiety. But during that time, I did everything I could to teach myself 
like the most that I could. And so like, for example, one of the courses I bought was there's a photographer named Don Charles and she has a guide to camera settings. And it literally is just a guide and it breaks down like how to work your camera, like what mm-hmm. each setting means. Were you still using your mom's camera? Because you said you bought the settings guide and you were yes, learning. So no. So I ended up buying a camera when I was still in school. And again, this is why my mom really is like the greatest mom ever because I was a full-time college student and one day I texted her and I was like, um, I want to drop out of college and I want to use my college tuition money to buy a $5,000 camera. So I was very lucky in the sense that, well, it's also like kind of fucked up because my college yes. tuition is technically my dad's life insurance. Yeah. And so yeah. like he, my I dad kind of had to die to like this. get my new camera. <laughs> but anyways, so yes, I like do. my dad's life insurance got split between me and my sisters. And then my mom put that directly towards college. And then I like there was this X amount of money and I didn't use all of that money to go towards school. And so I had asked my mom, like, can I take like $5,000 out of that and buy a new camera? So I bought um, the Canon 5D Mark IV and I bought a lens. I think I bought two lenses, actually. So that obviously was huge for me and like I know that that was like a privilege for me and that not everyone has that same privilege. But like the videos that I was making that were going viral were on like a $300 Nikon D3400. Like you don't have to have the nicest gear to create really epic content. Like it's all about like knowing your settings and having an eye. Like, yes, it definitely helps. Um, but you also like there's sites where you can rent a camera for a weekend. And like, I remember thinking before I got the camera that that's what I was going to do for the wedding. Or, you know, you can take out a loan or you can like ask your parent to pay for it. And then you like work on paying them back. Like, I know that that was a huge, huge privilege for me that I acknowledge. And then also that like, it's so cool that my mom even let me do that because like, I literally just told her, I'm like, I want to drop out of school and I want to drop $5,000. And she was like, okay, like she's always supported me from the beginning, which I was super thankful about. So at this time I had a new camera. And like I said, I started to learn everything that I could on like YouTube and buying guides. So even though I wasn't shooting or like getting paid to shoot, I was doing absolutely everything I could to learn like YouTube videos, buying workshops, teaching myself exactly how to use my camera. So, okay. The other thing that I did, which goes along with the fake it until you make it is I started a photography Instagram And when I started this, it was literally all pictures of my friends. Like it was pictures of Lexi in Utah and it was pictures of Aubrey that I would take at our house. And like, I was not booking clients, but I made an Instagram of like photography work that I had done. And that alone booked me clients. Like it's one thing to like post pictures on your Instagram, Mm -hmm. but like people are like, oh yeah, it's just like personal work. But like when I created a photography Instagram, it like opened it up as like, okay, she's becoming a photographer, whatever. And again, I was shooting my friends, but posting this work on a page. And from that people, like then people started reaching out and being like, I want you to take my senior pictures. Like I'm a photographer and I want like brand work. And, and starting that, 
is was super big. Like you have to have a spot that you showcase your work, like whether that's a website or an Instagram, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so at that time during this like slow season, I remember I would just do super random things. And by that, I mean like I said yes to everything. So that first year or that like semester when I came home, um, USD, a sorority at USD, because my sister, like it's all about connections. Like my sister was in a sorority at University of South Dakota and they had reached out about me doing their recruitment video. And so I shot a recruitment video. And then one of my mom's friends had a business and wanted like a promo video. And I made that. And then it was like family photos or couple photos. But I said yes to everything at the beginning. And and I wouldn't change that. Like you have to say yes to everything to build a portfolio and get your name out there. And also to like understand what you like and what you don't like. Because saying yes to everything at the beginning, I realized that like I don't really love making promotional videos. I do not like doing family photos, but I had to say yes to all of that to like know what I want and to also just get the experience that I needed. At the same time where I'm like saying yes to everything, a photographer in Rapid had reached out to me. And so I don't even really remember how it worked, but like she was a wedding photographer were in the town that I lived and originally she had reached out and she wanted a second shooter. So she was like, when I go to weddings, like I need someone to come and work a second camera for me. And so that summer I started doing like every wedding with her and I would second shoot. And that was super great because like, it's not like she sat down and was like teaching me during these wedding days, but it got me like I would spend eight hours like every weekend with her shooting and practicing. And so then I got so, so, so comfortable with mm-hmm. like knowing my camera and knowing the settings. And that's and like also being at weddings and yes, what to do. Yeah. And yeah. And just literally like knowing how weddings work. And so then like mm-hmm. when we started doing them every weekend, like I would understand like, okay, this is the role of a photographer. This is a role of a videographer, whatever. So getting practice, second shooting with her. And then at that same time, I was like offering wedding videography. I knew deep down that I never wanted to be a wedding photographer. And I say that because so much of being a wedding photographer is like you are large and in charge and like you have to keep people on schedule. And when it's like Mm -hmm. we're behind schedule, you have to like get on these brides and you have to dictate family and bridal and I'm like the most unconfrontational human in the world Mm -hmm. and I knew that I was not made for that job like I knew that I couldn't direct people or like tell people on their wedding day they needed to hurry up because we were behind schedule like I would let the schedule run five hours late like that's what would happen if I shot a wedding and so I knew wedding video or photography was not on the table but wedding videography I knew I wanted to do and so what was nice about working with this photographer and her name was Katie Reisner was she reached out to all of the brides that she had booked and asked them if they wanted to add wedding videography and that she had a girl working with her who would do wedding videos. And I booked so many from that, or I think I booked like seven or eight from her or her clients, but it's not necessarily that my work was like so absurdly good that everyone wanted to book me. It's because it was so freaking cheap. Like I was shooting these weddings like I think I made $800 on 
on mm-hmm. these wedding videos, whereas like most photographers and videographers charge so much more. But so that summer, like I was second shooting for her. I was doing videos for some of her brides. And then I also did book a few weddings of my own. Like I think I booked like three or four of my own clients that summer. I just mm-hmm. can't believe how important just working with someone else really was because beyond like just feeling more comfortable and being able to get experience, but like also, you know, even if you weren't getting paid anything really for your videos, like just having the opportunity then without like, I don't know, it just is, it feels yeah. like that's a really important um, no, and it, piece, whether it's just second shooting or working with someone or whatever. No, a hundred percent. And like, out of the gate, what is difficult is like booking clients because you can, it is so easy to book a client or two, but to make that a consistent mm-hmm. and like heavy client load is what's difficult because like anyone can shoot like a hundred dollar session for a friend, but like getting clients who continuously come to you and then like that growing starts with, you know, for me, it was so helpful that like Katie was a very respectable wedding photographer mm-hmm. in the hometown I was in. And so when a respectable wedding photographer then recommends someone to do video, like you already come out of the gate, like yep. having a name that people trust, which was super huge. And yeah, like you said, like I think that first summer I did like maybe 13 wedding videos. I think like eight were with her and like four or five were ones that I booked. But even then, like I had 15 wedding videos to put on my portfolio. And what is also crazy is that, and it's, this happens all the time in like the wedding industry is so many of the weddings I have now are people who like were bridesmaids and weddings that I did Mm -hmm. before, or they were like, you know, you did my friend so-and-so's wedding and like, that's how you book clients. So yes, that was so big for me. Um, So after this summer gets done, it's a very slow season really October or I guess, I don't know, like now I have weddings every October, but once like this wedding season was done, I was sort of back to that. Like, I'm not really working very much. And like, how was this supposed to be a full-time job? Like I wasn't shooting anything in the winters, like the winters in South Dakota, like are cold and snowy and whatever. People aren't getting married. People don't need senior pictures. Like it's a very dead time. And so in October of that year, I'd been home now for like about a year. I attended a workshop in Moab. So the difference between a content day and a workshop is a content day is when a photographer will host it and they get like they pay models to come and they like set up these fake weddings or fake shoots and a photographer hosts it and then multiple photographers can pay to come and you shoot and you get content. And then a workshop is that really that same thing. Like there's styled shoots, but there's also education within them. Like they sit down and they talk about, you know, camera settings or booking clients or whatever. It's like these classes. So I did a workshop in Moab that was with a photographer named Aubrey Bell and then a videographer named Kenna Bangarder. What is the beauty of workshops is that I then had a portfolio of like a video of a couple in Moab. You had content from people in wedding that wasn't a real wedding, but nobody knew that when you posted that. Yes. So you were able to have like that 
stuff. And then I'm speaking for you. So Mm -hmm. this is maybe fucking wrong. But (laughs) then after that, you started going to way more content days. Yes. It seemed like, which also gave you so much more stuff that when you could post people, you know, didn't know that it was like a styled shoot Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so I think that just in terms of outside looking in, that workshop not only gave you the confidence, but it also let you see how important having content was and you could build that without even having to book the weddings. Yes. You could pay and go to different shoots. Okay, yes. So workshops and content days have played like such a crucial role Like someone, one of the questions someone asked was like, what is something you did that you feel like really made your business take off? And my first thought was content days. And I say that for several reasons. So first off, the one that I did in Moab, I think there was like four shoots. We did like two couple shoots and two mock like elopement videos. And I posted this video on my Instagram of a couple in Moab. And again, like, I mean, you tag the people, but like, unless you're in the photo video world, like a lot of people have no idea that these are styled shoots. Well, Mm -hmm. after I posted that, like a few weeks later, there was a girl from Rapid City who emailed me and was like, hi, I saw this video and like we're eloping in Moab and we really want you to be a part of it. And that is so cool. I know. And like I ended up doing photos and videos at like I'd made what I did, took pictures. Connor did the video. I edited them both at this then real elopement in Moab. But like it started from getting the work that I did during the workshop. And then the other thing that has been so big for me is transitioning to shooting to Colorado. And that's kind of where I'm at in this like line. So I did, you know, this summer, the second summer I was in rapid, I think I did like 25 seniors and 25 weddings, which is actually a really decent amount of bookings. Like I would say, I would like to not take on more than 25 weddings. Like that is a ton. And I remember feeling like so confident, like whether it was, you know, getting help from Katie and getting my name out there. And also, like I said, like growing connections of people being like, I saw this wedding video you did, or I was at this wedding. Like it all started to fall into place. Like the more I shot, then the more people reached out and wanted me to shoot their work. And so that second summer, even though I was shooting a ton though, I also was not making great money. And that's something I'll talk about later. But then I decided to move to Colorado. And that decision I really struggled with because I didn't know how I was going to get business here. Because 99% of my clients were coming from South Dakota. So what I started to do was I would pay to do content days in Colorado. And so I was going and I was shooting videos. I would pay to go to a content day. I also, there was like some styled shoots that I was asked to like be the videographer for. But I would go to Colorado and I would get all of this content and then I would post it on my website and I would post it on my Instagram. And because of that, then like you tag Colorado, whatever, people found me from those shoots or like saw like, oh, she's a Colorado photographer. And it made the transition 
so, so good. Like I worried that it would take me like a year or two to start getting business here. And Mm -hmm. next year, like 90% of my weddings are in Colorado. But it started with getting content and not even that you have to go to content days, even though I like 100% support it. But like traveling to a place that you really want to shoot and posting work from there will help clients to book you in those locations. No, it was though. When I was thinking through this, I was like, the only two things I want to make sure she says is that like getting experience working for someone saying yes to everything, because I think that goes along with anything you want to do is like in the beginning, you just have to take what you can get. Mm -hmm. And then also the content days, because I think even we, because we don't take pictures, we are like, oh, who are these people, you know? And it Mm -hmm. makes it look like, you know, you're traveling the world taking pictures of people and, you know, you really are. And so that's the thing. It's not like you're lying. Like you took the videos, you made the content. Mm -hmm. It just is like something structured to help you get started. Yeah. So Well, and this sort of And leads- I think it's oh shit, sorry. No, but you're it's good. more relevant to that you were able to build a business outside of Rapid City because it also I mean, it's not a huge town. We like know lots of people. So I mean, you could have business from just your friends getting married or your sister's friends or just contacts, you know? Mm-hmm. But to be able to take that, I think, outside of here and build it in a bigger place is yes. um, a testament to like the fact that it can work because you could very easily be like, well, I'm booked up and it could be all people we know. Yes. You know? Okay. A hundred percent. And that's such a great transition to, I had mentioned this in the episode last week that I felt a lot of pressure about like fulfilling this career and always searching for success. And you know, so much of that starts from like dropping out of school and feeling like I had to prove my worth and also like being very self, like self-doubtful or having anxiety. I was like, I'm not good enough. And like, I worked so hard of like trying to feel worthy of the success that I had. And I had said that at the time, success to me looked like being fully booked and making X amount of money and being as busy as possible, saying yes to everything, like having this crazy portfolio. Whereas now what success looks like to me is creating work that I'm both excited about and proud of. And so this is sort of where this transition from saying yes to everything to being really picky about the things that I want to take occurred. And it happened when I moved to Colorado because like you said, I could have stayed in Rapid City for my whole life and been very successful there. Like just having grown up there, like, you know, connections Mm -hmm. and whether it was like my mom's friends had family who was getting married or like after shooting all these weddings and rapid, then all these other people, like Mm -hmm. bridesmaids, whatever, like it would have been so easy for me to stay in rapid and make a lot of money and be very, very, very busy. But I knew deep down it wasn't the content that I wanted to create. And it took me like going to these workshops and shooting elopements in the mountains that I was like, that is what I want to do. Like I could stay in rapid and I could make a a promo video for a small business or I could go and target myself to shoot elopements around the US or things like that. And so what that looks like now is 
even for next year, like us doing van life is I've been so picky about the weddings that I say yes to. And and I don't mean picky in like that it's about like what the couple looks like or, you know, but it's about right. like the types of weddings. And for me, like shooting a wedding in Rapid City that's in a church and an old building doesn't fulfill me like it does to create content where it's like people are in really cool. And not to say that like weddings in Rapid aren't good. It's Some okay. of my it's favorite okay. weddings You want to be outside. It's yeah. okay. And so I've just been way more picky with what I take. But yeah. this also leads into pricing, I guess, is kind of where that's like my whole journey of, you know, it started when I dropped out of school and I didn't know what I was doing. And then I did content days and I worked for a photographer and now I'm living in Colorado. And so with being picky and taking on less, you have to charge more to be able to do that. You know, like it doesn't make Mm -hmm. you don't just take on less weddings and then just make less like you have to figure out like how you can make money and support yourself, whatever. And pricing is something that I've struggled with for, it's probably been the biggest struggle in my business thus far. Like knowing how to price yourself is so hard. So for example, the very first wedding video I ever did, I charged $800 for, which at the time felt like a lot of money. And in hindsight, like that's nothing but it's also probably what I should have charged. Like I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have a ton of experience. I didn't know how this wedding video would turn out. And there's something to be said about like being humble or like knowing Mm -hmm. what you can charge because the reason that I've struggled with pricing for so long is, well, okay. And the other weird thing about this is the difference in what people charge in South Dakota versus Colorado is fucking insane. Like you just have no idea the difference like in South Dakota. And I mean, obviously, every photographer varies, but I know mm-hmm. like in South Dakota, I was charging eighteen hundred to shoot weddings. And that was super, super, super average. Like that is just the cost of what people charge there. And the other thing is that photographers in South Dakota usually make more than videographers. Like if you look at services, they charge more. Mm-hmm. Well, when we moved to Colorado, it was an entirely different ballgame. And I started to look at people's websites that I met at content days or just that I knew from social media who lived in Colorado. And they were charging like five to $7,000 for weddings. And videographers always charged more. So when I moved here, I had like two years under my belt and I knew that I needed to up my pricing a bit, but I still felt really guilty about that. Like that I wasn't worthy of charging (sighs) more and that my work wasn't Mm -hmm. worth that much. Something that goes along with that. And I've had these conversations with Connor a lot is, you know, the, the, one of the videographers, for example, who I know charges like 7,200, like her starting prices are at $7,200. And when I saw that, like I was like just thought it was crazy at first because it's so high but she's also so 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 talented and in my mind I'm like okay like I can see that like your work is so great and it was nothing against her I thought she deserved that Mm -hmm. money but I've also struggled with the idea that 
the wedding industry is charging too much that it's so unattainable for people to even book mm-hmm. those people. And like for me, oh. no matter like how good I think I am or how much I've grown or there's something about charging $7,000 that for me personally and pricing is so personal. Like this is nothing to say about that person in general because we all justify things differently. But I kept thinking to myself, like if I were to get married tomorrow, would I spend $7,000 on a videographer? And honestly, no. And if like I should have like the highest appreciation for and like know the value of mm-hmm. of a videographer and if I'm not even like willing to pay that amount then like how can I expect yeah. a, someone else to and so I struggled with knowing how to price because I needed I knew I needed to raise my pricing just because like cost of living is higher in Colorado and I had to like not be so absurdly lower than everyone else here because mm-hmm. then people are going to be like, well, maybe she doesn't know what she's doing. Yes. She doesn't have experience. Why is she so cheap? Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I couldn't do it absurdly high because people in South Dakota would have thought I lost my fucking mind. Like if I yeah. charge $7,000, like people in Rapid would be like, this girl's off her rocker. Like she has no idea what she's doing. So that's so much money. I, I And I is. appreciate you like saying you know, that you like her and her work is great. And I understand all of that. But it's like, I always go back to like, when we started Okanopo and we were pricing t-shirts and it's like, we can mark them up a hundred percent. Like people do in retail, you know, you get Mm -hmm. them for like whatever, 20 and you mark them up to 40 or 50, but it always felt like, I don't know. There's such a, like this moral thing that guides you in business too, that like you have to carry through your life. And if it feels like you're ripping people off, you maybe are. Yeah. And like, um, so I just recently shot a wedding with a photographer in Colorado who I like love so much. And we had a conversation about a photographer named India Earl and Lacey, like Mm -hmm. I've talked to you. So, okay. This is something I guess I didn't touch on, but India Earl is a photographer in Utah and she has absurd, absurd, absurd amounts of education. And I utilized Mm -hmm. that so much. Like I've bought her presets. I've bought her guides. I've bought like I think she is the greatest at sharing information with other people. And I've always loved that about her. And I think like it's such a useful tool for Mm -hmm. other photographers. But this conversation that I had with the photographer and we just were talking about pricing. And again, this feeling like I just worry that the wedding industry is getting so ahead of themselves of like, you know, every year they're like, we have to raise our prices. And, you know, and I'm like, how can you raise your prices from $7,000? Like, how can you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something we had, she had said is like, you know, India Earl charges like $2,000 for like a one hour couple shoot. And, and she is amazing. She is great at her job. She's probably like mm-hmm. one of the best photographers I know. But what we like what this photographer had said that like opened up my mind was like it's almost like she's charging for her name. Like people pay because they want to have photos done mm-hmm. by her. Yep. And even though she is so 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 talented, it's like she's still shooting on a Canon 5D Mark IV. Like it's not like she has this crazy gear that no other photographer mm-hmm. in the world has. Like 
she, yes, she's absurdly, absurdly talented, but like she's still using the same gear that everyone else does. And like, how do you justify that? Like, I know her wedding started at like $10,000. And yeah, so, and it's just, uh, I mean, you're right. You started with saying it's really personal. And it, yes, it just is. You just have to, you know, you looked at rates around you, you figured out where you felt, you know, and it's such a balance because you want to be able to, feel like you're getting paid for your work Mm -hmm. and you should be getting paid for what your work is worth. Yes. And that's why. So yeah, it's like a wedding in wherever, like a big traditional wedding, you're spending like 30,000 to 50,000 to $75,000. And then it's like, how, how can we justify spending that? And then now if you're eloping and you're just videographers, 10,000, like, I guess, yeah. I, I suppose it's like the most important part. I don't, I yeah. don't know. But I think it's like you said, it's just knowing yourself and knowing what you feel feels right because you could always charge more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. And so I feel like that's, um, and it is pricing is so personal. You have to feel like you're valued and like, and it is, it's all personal. Um, something I feel like that I've been like the most proud, I guess, in my business. And I didn't even feel that way until recently is about how I priced. And I feel that way because like I said, I struggled so much, but when I came to Colorado and I knew I needed to up my prices, I raised them to like, $2,800 is then what I was charging. And I guess the reason I say that I'm like proud of that, it's like kind of messed up because I didn't feel worthy enough to pay that much, but I'm happy that I listened to what I felt I deserved at the time. And I didn't just charge up the butt and then like feel guilty about it. Like I stayed really humble in what my pricing was because I never wanted to feel like I was overcharging someone. Well, then I started this season of weddings, like 2021. And I also watched my work grow so much. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't felt that before. Like I used to finish wedding videos and then I would hate them. Like I would watch them so many times and I'm like, I am the worst. And like, I suck. And this isn't even very good. And like, obviously everyone's critical about the things that they create, but I wasn't in a headspace that I actually could charge that much. Once this year started, And the work I was creating, I could visibly tell was better. Like I knew what I was doing more and I was getting more creative in the shots that I got. Well, then I started to feel like I deserve to be paid more. And that's where like this year comes in because it's hard because I'm like, well, I charge so little because I didn't feel worthy of it. And now I feel like I've gotten so much better and I'm not making as much money Mm -hmm. as I would have liked to on some of these weddings. So the other like biggest, biggest piece of advice that I could touch on and I said this the last episode is pricing your time and that is the biggest mistake that I made from the beginning is I just had that I would shoot your wedding and I would be there for the whole day and it was $1,800 well Mm -hmm. when you offer that like I had weddings where the bride was like well I want you to come at 8 a.m and get videos of me getting ready and then you can leave at 10 p.m after our sparkler exit and like people will take advantage of that like when you don't put a cap on your time, like people will ask you to be there for 12 hour days. Like it's such a given. Like if you don't put those boundaries on it, 
you will get mm-hmm. taken advantage. And that is the only regret that I have that I wish I would have done from the beginning. And so how I price myself now and also in like the spirit of being fully transparent, I have my pricing guide. Like if you go to my photography It's on my website and there's a link in my bio that is my actual pricing. Like these are what my packages cost. Like these are what the add-ons are. And so like, for example, I now have a six hour package, an eight hour package and a 12 hour package. And it's so nice because I feel like I'm getting paid for the hours that I'm working. And so I raised my pricing for next year. So I know that like my six hour package starts at 3,400 and my eight hour package starts at 4,200. So mm-hmm. my only other question regarding pricing, when you're talking about charging for your time is like, how long do you spend on a wedding video editing too? Yeah. Like, because that's a lot of time. No. And it is. And that's also where like, it seems so absurd to charge like for only six hours, but then those six hours of shooting turns into like 40 hours of editing. And Mm -hmm. so, and videos take me so much more time to edit than photos. Like for photos, for me, like I can sit down and I can watch TV when I do it and just kind of like edit as I go. But for video, like I have to be like locked in a room with headphones on. No one can talk to me. And like, I have to be in such a headspace to be able to do it. And so, yeah, these six-hour packages are more like 46-hour packages. Mm -hmm. But like I said, like my pricing guide is literally online and you can go and you can look at it and see. And I also learned how to price from other workshops or from other photographers. And so the second one, and someone had asked this question, is how do I price travel? And that is the second thing that I have struggled with the absolute most and what I have messed up so much this year is not charging for travel how I should have been charging for it. So what I did at the beginning, and even after I raised my prices to like 20 from 1800, I actually did 1800 to 2100 and then 2800. And um, how I charged travel was that I just asked to be reimbursed for my travel expenses, which included like gas to and from or a flight and then a place to stay the night before and the night of the wedding. And Mm -hmm. that worked for a really long time because it was pretty easy and the costs stayed pretty low. Like, I mean, it was maybe like when I shot a wedding in Sioux Falls, it was like they got me a cheap hotel and gas was like $150. So like it wasn't anything crazy. But the issue that I started to run into is that I just quit reimbursing people. And this again is totally on me. But I always felt so bad, like they would pay me like $2,800 and then it's like two days later I would get home from the wedding and then be like, oh, by the way, like my gas was $150. Like that sounded and felt so dumb. I'm like, their wedding's already over. Like they already paid for everything. Like how shitty of me to like text them after it's all done. And so I just wouldn't. And like I, I quit texting people and there were so many weddings that I would drive like 10 hours to and then just not even charge people for gas which again is on me like that is 100% on me but I started to realize that like I didn't love the way that that was Mm -hmm. playing out and and a way to get it to still be reimbursed for travel is like if you want to do it that way you just look in advance so like let's say I'm living in Colorado and someone is like I want you to shoot my wedding here then you like look at hotels 
see how much they cost, look or estimate what you think a flight would cost or estimate what you think gas would cost and then tell them like upfront, like, okay, yep, this is what the travel fees will be. And then, and you can break it down for them and explain it, but then it's all just upfront and it's so much easier. And so I had knew I like needed to transition to that where like it was this upfront cost. Well, the struggle came when we decided to live in a van and there was no way to estimate how much travel expenses would be because we had no idea like if we would be coming from somewhere that was four hours away or if we would be in Yosemite the week before, you know, like we didn't have this home base to like base travel off of. So I did a content day or it was actually my own content day that I hosted in the Tetons. And what's so great about these two is like you meet other photographers and I've gotten like so many clients in Colorado just from the photographers I meet recommending me and like you learn from them. But I talked to a photographer there as far as like travel goes and she had said that it was just this set price of like, for example, her starting package for six hours would be like 3200 and if you book from outside of Colorado then it's four thousand dollars so she just adds on eight hundred dollars to any wedding and you know sometimes travel expenses are less than that and sometimes they're more than that but they really it just kind of evens out and I had heard of this before but again I felt guilty I'm like how can I charge eight hundred dollars for a wedding that's like in Florida, but then also charge $800 for a wedding that's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That was something I struggled with a ton, but I also knew that like come when we live in a van, I didn't necessarily want to be shooting weddings in Sioux Falls all the time. And like every time we go there, it's like kind of this hassle because it's not by anything close Mm -hmm. or, or whatever. And so in my head, I was like, the benefit of doing it that way is that one, it just kind of steers people away. Like if they don't want to charge that fee, then like they won't hire you to do their wedding in Sioux Falls or Iowa. But then if they do like feeling like you're compensated and like, okay, I'll make the 10 hour drive from Colorado, but I'm like being paid for my travel or like being reimbursed for like your time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, pricing is definitely hard and it's what I've struggled with the most. Is there anything else you feel like you have to say? Because I feel like you start from nothing and then you go through what people need to learn. I think you've done just fine. And like how you built your business, that's where you're at. I guess my next question is like, what was your, when you talked about success and you had an amount of money that you thought you needed to make for it to be a success, what was that? Okay, that's a really good question. And we had talked about this before. I feel like money, or me and you, Lacey, just texted about it. Like, I feel like money is so taboo to talk about. And like, yep, I it's weird to talk about money. But at mm-hmm. the same time, these goals and expectations I made about money came from people who were willing to talk about how much they made. And like, for example, one of the photographers who I worked for in Rapid had mentioned how like, She was making six figures, which I was blown away by because I didn't think you could make that much money. And Mm -hmm. I was so wrong about it. Like you can make a ton of money being a photographer and a videographer in the wedding industry in general. Like people make, there's just a lot of money to be made there. And 
I also did the workshop in Moab and one of the girls was like two years older than me and she said something like, I'm just so lucky that I can do what I love and like make six figures doing it. So I didn't have those high goals right out of the gate. Like I knew, but I wrote down like a five-year plan and I said, you know, in five years, I want to shoot a wedding in a national park. I wanted to shoot an international wedding and I wanted to make $100,000 in five years was my plan or my goal, not my plan, my goal. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't necessarily know like in my head what I thought success looked like at the time because I knew in terms of money amount, like I wasn't like aiming to make $100,000 like the first or second year I dropped out of school. I think the first year, again, like I was barely, I was making like $700 wedding. I don't even know how much I made that year. I didn't even really count. I was just getting my feet off the ground, whatever. So the second summer, last summer, I had, cal- and again, this was hard because it was like COVID and weddings were pushed and mm-hmm. stuff. But at the end of last year, I made like $46,000, I think, which mm-hmm. was really good money too. It was the year after I dropped out of school and like not having a college degree, like that's really great money. And the other reason that I guess I even want to touch on income and money is I saw a TikTok a few days ago about a girl who said that like money is so taboo to talk about and she wishes it wasn't. And she like goes on to say how she graduated college the year before and right out of college, she got offered a job for like $36,000. And she had no idea like how much Mm -hmm. she she should be making. But she thought like, yeah, as a, you know, your first year out of college when you have no money, like $36,000 seems like a lot. Yes. And she had a friend who graduated with that same degree and did a similar job as hers, but for a different company and made $60,000 out of the gate. And she was like, had we talked about this and talked about this, like, expected and not even expected income but just been open with how much we made like she would have argued to make more yes and yes and it's stupid because we we don't want to talk about it i don't know where where it comes from but it always is like even when we were trying to figure out if we were going to start okinopal and i like searched all these videos of like people who had started businesses and whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about it, what any of it costs because no, no one talks about nobody it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And I don't know if they're making enough money to live on or not. And I don't know if people don't want to talk about it because obviously you don't want to brag about it. But then yeah. also it's so hard to set realistic expectations if you have no idea what it costs to live on. No. And, you know, and I feel like that first summer or last summer, technically my first summer doing it full time by myself, like when I made $46,000, like I would have thought that was absurdly great money. And like, I can make a living off of this. And like, I'm so successful. But because I had enough people who were transparent about money, I knew that, and not that it wasn't a lot, but that I knew I was capable of making more in this industry, but it took people talking about their incomes for me to know that like you can charge more or you can expect more out of this career. And so this year after I just like before we recorded this or like a few days ago, I wrote out like all of my income that 
like I know I'll for sure make like whether it's like I just added up all of the weddings all of the shoots couples seniors whatever that I will make and it was $82,000 which is such good money and also Mm -hmm. that's like before wedding deposits which I usually make like 10 to 15,000 in wedding deposits and like that's like a $90,000 year for someone who's 22 and doesn't have a degree. And yeah. that is huge, huge, huge money. And again, I had to work super hard to do so. Like I yes. am shooting a ton and it's not like you can just come no, into this. Don't, don't let yeah. yourself feel guilty about it. I'm yeah. just going to, that's my new goal. Yeah, You're just going to feel what you feel and we're not going to, I feel like at this point, Every time we say something, we're like, we're trying not to offend these people or like, I don't want you to think I'm stuck up because I made this money. But look, you fucking earned it. You've worked your ass off. You should be proud of that. And I think it's okay. Yeah. And like, what's so cool is like, my goal was to make 100000 in five years and like making 90000 in three years. Like, I know I can cross that off next year. And, mm-hmm. and it's all, it's just to say that anyone can do it and it takes yeah. hard work, but, and again, I don't, the reason that I don't feel guilty about it too is because I didn't just out of the gate, like charge a yes. shit ton. And even when I moved to Colorado and I knew I could charge like $5,000 more than what I was, I didn't. And you have to stay yes. true to what you believe as well. Here, Here's the other thing. When you started... All of that sounded impossible. Mm-hmm. And you're three years in, and now you know it's not impossible. But it took three years of convincing yourself to keep going mm-hmm. to even get to this point. So it's like one year in, that's not necessarily going to happen. I know no, we all no, have no, no, big no, no, no. dreams where we're like, we can make a million dollars in one year. And it's like, yeah, okay. But I think the biggest testament to the idea that anyone can do it is that anyone can it just takes three years to get to where you are maybe yes or maybe 100%. it takes five years to get to ninety thousand or whatever it just i mean it keeps building on itself and it's like anything the, you know we want it to be a success right away but it it takes a, a long time and there was a lot of self-doubt yes. in there. There was a lot of, I don't know if I can do this. A lot of like, what the fuck am I doing? A lot of like, was, should I not have dropped out? Should I not have whatever? Should I go back? Is this the right path? And mm-hmm. all of it is just like, you just set your mind to it. And then that's just what the path became. Yes. And I was going to say like the, the two things that I think, like helped me to do so or to make that a reality was one, I set goals. And like, I know we've talked about that before, but like, it is so crazy how important they are because had I not set that goal, I would have just stayed charging what I did and made 46,000 and thought that I was doing the best that I could and making the most that I could. And so again, I mean, it was people being transparent, but like setting that goal from the beginning of like in five years, I want to make six figures was like, helped me to advance and get to that point. And then, mm-hmm. yes, time. Like, I I said I didn't know how much I made the first year, but, like, if I were to guess, it was, like, $13,000 the whole entire year. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you can make at, like, a summer job. Like, it was not 
and I was lucky that I was living with my mom and like I wasn't paying for an apartment because I couldn't like I couldn't afford that. And so it does take a year or two of saying yes to everything, charging super minimal, like not necessarily, I guess, being paid for what you think you deserve, but like you have to start somewhere. And for photography, a lot that looks like saying yes to everything and just getting your foot in the door. So I really do want to wrap this up. Like it's, it's getting long and I wrote down the like questions, most common questions. And a lot of them I answered like as we went, like, how did you start? What are the things that helped the most? How you started booking clients, whatever. And so really now, like what's left are just like the simple questions that I'm literally just going to answer. Like what gear do you use? And like, if you're not a photographer, this probably isn't going to make any sense. But like I said, I just want to be so transparent and like actually answer the questions that people ask. So, and this is, I'm just literally reading this off of a list because we need to wrap this up. But what gear do I use? I have a Canon 5D Mark IV and a Canon R6. And the reason that I recommend those so much for video is that they have a touch screen and that's been like a huge game changer. And I have a 24 to 70 lens, a 50 and a 35. And also the other question that people asked was like, what camera did you start on? Because like those cameras that I just listed are like 25 or like $3,000 cameras and $2,000 lenses. And I know that that's not realistic for everyone. And so like I started on a Nikon D3400 and there are cameras like there's Canon cameras that are only like $300. Um, What presets or LUTs do you use? And then someone said, how did you get your editing style down? It's so consistent. Did you create your own preset? So no, I don't have my own presets. And the presets that I use are India Earl's Honey preset. And then there's two photographers named Dallin and Sienna, and they have a preset. And that's what's like so cool about photography is there are so many resources. And like, I think consistency is key from the beginning. And I, so I started using India Earl's Honey preset. And as the time has gone, I've kind of like merged the two together. Like I've taken what I liked from one and didn't like, and then what I liked from the others. And I've like, now in my computer, I have like Ashton preset one, preset two, and I've adjusted them a ton, but they started from those bases. And then um, LUTs are what you use to edit videos. And I use LUTs that are white and reverie. It's, they're a filming couple and they shoot weddings but I use them to color grade my videos and again I've made adjustments to them but like they're really good bases I answered like pretty much everything about pricing um someone asked about taxes and I literally can't even get into it because (laughs) I know nothing but 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 I find someone you feel comfortable texting um quite often I may end up in jail because I probably didn't pay taxes right, just so you know. No, that is my 100%. That is my also second biggest fear after school shootings are like getting arrested for taxes. And it's a lot of pressure (laughs) to like as your own boss. And like we've talked about this in Okanopal, like it is so hard. And it's hard when you don't know what you're doing from the beginning. But this year, I finally feel like... I'm doing it 
way smarter or at least like way more correctly. We're way more correct. I don't know how to say that. But my only advice on taxes is to get the QuickBooks app. And why I say that is like I just linked my card. And so like anytime money gets deposited into my account, I just like I mark that as income. And anytime I like spend something that's a travel or like a business expense, I can just mark that. And the other thing is that they have a mile tracker. And so like I just have it the QuickBooks so it tracks my like car wherever it goes. And then I can go in and mark if that was a personal trip or a business trip. And la- like the last two years, I was never good about like keeping track of mileage. Like I might be like, oh, well, I shot this wedding here and write that one down. But I would always forget. And just this year, my like write off for mileage has been like $8,000. So wow, QuickBooks, which I mean, I've also put like 100,000 fucking miles on my car this year. But QuickBooks is like my number one tip for taxes and it like it just makes it super easy what programs do i use to edit i use lightroom for photos and i use final cut pro for videos which i know a lot of videographers use premiere pro but for me final cut has done everything i needed it to and i just am like super comfortable with it and i love it sorry i'm almost done where do you find the music for your videos so Again, this is like in full transparency because like I can't lie about it. Like when people go and they look at my old videos, I used to use copyright songs all the time. Like I would go to iTunes and I would pick like the most popular song you can think of. I'd buy it for 99 cents and I would post it in a video. And I did that for like the first two years of doing wedding videography. And it was fine. Like I never got in trouble. Yeah, but I started like once I started to like grow my business and like obviously like you just learn and whatever, I started to get like paranoid that like I would get in trouble for using a copyright song or my account would get banned or whatever. And so I use an app called Musicbed. It's like a subscription and they have unlimited songs. They're all copyright free. And that's what I've used for every wedding video this year. But I had to be honest because like I get DMs all the time and people are like, how did you use this song on your wedding video? I'm like, fuck, it was illegal. Don't do what I did. <laughs> but now I use that site. Um, how do I deliver galleries? I use an app called PickTime. It's super awesome. And then these are all about pricing. How did you target an out-of-state audience? That was content days and shooting in Colorado. And then uh, basically what I can end it with. I feel like I've answered all the questions as far as like pricing and what I use and stuff was advice for someone who's just getting started in this industry. I feel like I've said it before and like a million times this episode, but really anyone can do it. And if you have a desire to be a photographer or a videographer, then go out and create, like take videos of your friends or use one photo shoot as an example and then market it on Facebook that you're offering sessions for like a hundred dollars. Like it's so attainable to make this like a side hobby or just a passion of yours and anyone, anyone, anyone can do it. And I feel like this episode was all over the place and was so terrible. And if anyone has any other questions, they should just let me know. I think it was all good. I think if you want to be a photographer, you should go take pictures. And I think the other thing I was going to say at some point was like, 
Okanopal too, all the pictures that you took there, like it just gave you a reason to need to take pictures. Yes. And so you were testing all different kinds of stuff. And then even as time went on, you were like, I hate those, take them off the website or like whatever. And I think that that just, you know, because I couldn't tell. Yes. But you would be like, oh, the light in those, take them off. And it's, I think that that also just shows how much you can learn in like, I think it was like nine months. Like you had put up some of the videos and then like nine months later and you, I was like, God, I don't want to have to rebuild the website again. Yeah. <laughs> but you were like, I hate all these pictures. So no. And that's where like, know. that's where like the confidence comes in because like what was a turning point in me for knowing that I could raise my pricing and that I deserved it was like, I said this, but I used to rewatch my wedding videos and then I would just hate them. I'm like, this is trash. Or I got to like, there was times when I was first starting off where, you know, I would go and I would do a couple shoot and I would get home and I was like, all of these pictures are so bad. Like, I didn't pose them correctly or like the lighting was off. I should have mm-hmm. changed my settings. And, and that, right there was why I couldn't charge high. Like you have to be humble. You have to know like what you really are worth. And at that time I was not worth a lot of money. Like it was hit and miss and it's trial and error. And when, when I started to realize that I could up my pricing was like this year when we, when the busy season started and I was whipping out wedding videos that when they got done, I was so proud of, I was like, these look so good. Like all of my coloring Mm -hmm. is consistent or I would get done with a photo shoot. And like, that's not to say that sometimes like I don't get done with a session and like not every session is going to be your favorite or your best work, but I was coming home with good products. Like every time, like every time, no matter what the lighting was or, and I used to like, I used to think like, well, the lighting was just bad or my couple was just awkward or, you know, but it was on me. Like part of being a good photographer Mm -hmm. and videographer is like you can create beautiful work no matter the situation that you're in. And like I said, there's good there. I mean, there's some sessions that are just better than the others, but I'm at a point now where like my work is really consistent and like I know I can go to a shoot and I'll get good photos. Whereas I used to just kind of guess and like hope it turned out good. But that's like with the Okanopal stuff. Like that was like my first and, and even in my second summer, like the second summer is when we did half those photos. And then like nine months later, I'd grown so much and was like, oh, those photos are terrible. Like I have to redo them. And it is all about trial and error. And like you, even the best photographers I know, like India Earl and those people, like sometimes they post like where they started and their work was terrible, but you have to start somewhere. And and it all takes just practice and like being willing to put in the work. Mm-hmm. I think it was good. I think if you want to be a photographer, I would never yeah. want to be. So <laughs> I have no. <laughs> Dude, I always got confused. Like every single time we end an episode, you text me and you're like, that was terrible. And I'm so anxious. And like, like after the ayahuasca one, you're like, you like, I don't even know if you should post it. And like, I just was so dumb, but I like knew it was so good and like everyone thought it was so good. But this episode where like I did majority of the talking, I literally right now I'm already thinking I'm like this episode sucks so bad. (laughs) 
Like, I can't even post this. It's so bad. Well, we oh. should do more with you talking the whole time because I feel great. Like, I'm going to walk away from this and be fine the rest of the day, which oh is my wonderful. Oh, my God. No, I'm going to edit this and be like, you dumbass. Like, what were you? Like, you wrote an outline for what? Like, you just... <laughs> It was good. It really was good. And I'm glad you're honest about um about the money side of it too because I think it's easy to think that you were making $60,000 the first year and you really weren't. You were making no. like 13 10 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like I would say whatever. 13 is high. Like I'm pretty sure when I yeah. came home like I maybe made like it, I mean I never kept track of it. It's got to be any it could be like 7 to $13,000. Yeah. But like it was not a lot of money, but I was living at home and and that yeah. was fine. But yeah. And the other part of it is you when we started Okanopal and you were coming back and taking pictures like you were still in school. And I think that that is the one last mm-hmm. part of it that is really important and that is like you could do this you you could do school all day and then instead of you know being on tiktok or whatever at night or watching netflix you just watch youtube videos of like taking pictures and la 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 or like you were you know ordering the book or whatever yeah you don't have to quit and be a full-time photographer right out of the gate. Like there were so many steps that you had taken while you were still going to school Mm -hmm. before it was like your full-time job. And I think it took a while to like work up to that. And yeah, but it's possible. I mean, yeah, it's well, and like, like my mom does photography and she has like a total full-time job, but she like the beauty of being a photographer is like you set your own schedule and also like I mean, most of all shoots are in the evening. Like, that's just when the lighting is best. And, like, you can totally have a full-time job and then, like, shoot seniors or a couple at night and, like, make a few hundred dollars off of it. And it can be, like, this side income, but also, like, a side passion. Like, it's not all about money. But, yes, 100%. Like, this was my journey of going and getting to the point where I was doing it full time. But like, this is advice for anyone who even just wants to do it. Like if you want to take senior pictures of your friends or like you want to record a sorority recruitment video, like that's how I started. And that's, yeah. Yep. Love you. I'll have to be the one to edit this and just overthink everything. But (laughs) (laughs) Love you too. You should have Connor edit it. I know I should. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye.